Welcome! This is the Hassan Sorrells Audio Experience. My name is Hassan Sorrells. Look, if you've been following me the last couple of years, you know that as the host of the Earbud You podcast, I brought you value twice a month, every month, directly to your ears. You know, I helped you get your knowledge on through your earbuds. This is a little bit of a new experiment. We are trying something different. So I want you to join us on the Hassan Sorrells Presents Audio Experience for interviews, for rants, for raves, for thoughts, for process. And you'll get a knee-deep, hip-deep, and ear-deep view inside of what I do as the Principal Conflict Engagement Consultant with Human Services Consulting and Training based out of Endicott, New York. Look, if you like what you're listening to, please like me, please rank me, Stitcher, iTunes, Overcast, Google Play Music, everywhere where you get your groove on, I want you to give me a few stars. All right, now, let's head into the experience. So this was recorded... This is an audio recording made of a speech I gave um, at a local women in business event. Um, It addresses issues of entrepreneurship, side hustling, freelancing, and how to make a difference, how to do linchpin work in the world. Uh, Please take a listen, and if you like it, let me know. All right, let's get into it. So for those of you who are not aware, this is Professor Sorrells from the School of Management. He teaches about organizational behavior, and he's going to talk about entrepreneurship. Cool. Awesome. So thank you, everybody, for, um, for having me here um, at your event uh, this evening. Um, as, uh, as Shana said, um, my name is Hassan Sorrells. I am the Principal Conflict Engagement Consultant with Human Services Consulting and Training uh, based out of Endicott, New York. I'm going to talk today um, very quickly and very succinctly, and I hope to hold your attention, for about the next 45 minutes um, about a topic that I think you all should be extremely passionate about, and I think that you should be doubling down on starting right now. It is a topic that I believe is in the zeitgeist, such as it were, it's in the air around all of you. Um, It is something that you all are surrounded by in a way that I wasn't when I was your age. Um, When I was your age, being an entrepreneur, going out and starting on your own, going out and building something was for losers. It was for people who couldn't get A's. It was for people who couldn't even get B's. It was for people who got C's and D's. And even going back into my older sister, who's 45, and her generation, it was for people who sucked at school. People who sucked at school and couldn't sit still and couldn't comply, you know what they did? They went off and became entrepreneurs. They built things, right? They struggled. And all of the rest of the A students and the B students laughed at them because the A students and the B students went into fun and interesting fields like finance and real estate and accounting and all those other fields and got nice, solid, steady jobs doing nice, solid, steady things and built a nice, solid, steady life with, you know, 2.5 kids and a little, you know, fence and a yard and all those other kinds of things that identify as markers the American dream. But see, you're different. You're growing up in a different era. I was born in 1979. Um, I did not grow up with the internet. Google was founded in 1997. Google went public in 2004. You all grew up and were born in the era of Google. You cannot remember a time when there was no internet, probably many of you in here. I can remember that time. I remember sitting on the floor reading like encyclopedias and stuff, right? 
So I'm really grateful that the internet exists now because I'm able to like sound off and do fun things and have interesting conversations like the one that I just had before I walked in here. But you guys, all of you in here, all of you fine people, and all of you women in here especially, have a unique and golden opportunity that will never come around again in the history of your lifetime to actually take advantage of an opportunity to make an impact in the world in a real meaningful way. And you don't need a whole lot of money to do it. Matter of fact, most people don't need any money. You don't need a fancy uh, rich uncle that you may not have. And you really don't need a whole bunch of encouragement. You just need to take seriously that thing that's inside of that phone that you're on Snapchat with or Instagram with or that you're on Facebook with or Twitter with. You just need to take that thing seriously at its own word. And you just need to grab it by the throat and strangle it for the rest of your life. <laughs> and today I'm going to tell you some of the ways in which you can do that. Because there's about three or four main things that you can do that will help you get started along this path. Let me give you a little bit more of an introduction to me. So um, I said I was the principal conflict engagement consultant with human services consulting and training. Um, what that means is I go into organizations and I help them solve problems. That's what I do. Right? So when Bob can't get along with Jim or when Gene can't get along with Jane, um, Bob and Jim and Gene and Jane's boss call me and they say, hey, son, can you come in and fix these problems? And I say yes. And I started this business with, like it says right here on the slide, 50 bucks. That's how much it costs for me to file a DBA, doing business as. Hey, son, Sorrells, doing business as human services consulting and training. When I moved here to the Binghamton area, I didn't know anybody. I actually lived in Minnesota for 10 years. I wasn't connected. I didn't have a network. I was fresh as a daisy. I never lived in New York before. I didn't, the only thing I knew about New York was New York City. So I didn't know anybody, right? So that's a tactical advantage, right, that I didn't have that you have. I didn't have a network, which is a tactical advantage that I didn't have that you had. And I didn't have access to a rich uncle which is something we all maybe don't have access to. By the way, let me also be clear, I have student debt. I just paid my student loans today. So all the things you're gonna tell me, all the reasons you're gonna tell me why you can't do some of the things I'm telling you, I'm telling you, look at that slide right there. I started with 50 bucks. If you could scrape together 50 bucks, you can do a lot of the things that I'm talking about today, but you don't even have to scrape that together. You just have to have the courage to start. You know how much guts it takes to show up somewhere where you don't know anybody and nobody knows you and open your mouth and say, yes, I can solve your problem. That takes guts and courage. That's what a freelancer does. That's what a side hustle does for you. That's what ultimately at scale, and I'm going to talk about what some terms mean here, entrepreneurship does. We solve problems. That's what we do. Non-obvious problems and even obvious ones with non-obvious solutions. And I want to be clear, just like Steve Jobs would tell you if he were standing here, every single thing that's in the world was built by somebody. None of this stuff is like just sprouted from nature. This is a table. There's nothing in nature that says a table has to exist. Somebody built that. And you could be one of those somebodies to build the next thing too. 
Now, one of the things that sometimes flummoxes us, sometimes stops us, particularly women, stops us as women, is sometimes we're, we're romantic about the past. We're like, oh, wasn't it great when I was XYZ? Or, oh, wasn't it great when I was ABC? Or high school was awesome, right? God, if we could just go back there. Or freshman year was fabulous if we could just go back there, right? We got to be unromantic. We got to let go of the past. We've got so much romance about what went on yesterday that we have absolutely no passion for tomorrow. And I have passion for tomorrow. I want you to have passion for tomorrow. Tomorrow will be better than today. And tomorrow, quite frankly, will be better than yesterday was. But we have to believe it, right? We have to take it at its word. Be unromantic. The second thing that we as women have to do is we have to be active. No one is going to give it to you. This is America. You have to take it. No one's going to walk up to your door and knock on your door and say, hey, here's the lucky thing. Cool. Thanks for like hanging out for like 25 years. Here's the lucky thing. It's just going to happen to you, right? The lucky thing just doesn't show up to your door. Be active. Go out. Do something. Start something. Starting is the huge thing with all of this. I'm going to talk about starting today. If you have an idea for doing anything, start it. There's so many options that exist inside of that device right there, the mobile one that you have next to you. So many options. And you have a window to the world that I didn't have. Be active. Go out and grab it. Take hold of it. And then the last thing I want you to do, and I wrote a short blog post about this today, which you can go look at my blog if you're interested. Um, you can check me out online. I want you to be assertive. Being assertive as a woman, sometimes women struggle with being assertive. Not necessarily younger women, although I see this in older women in organizations in which I work. But younger women, you don't struggle with being assertive as much as previous generations struggled. Look, in order to be assertive, you have to be willing to be disagreeable. That's a huge thing. You have to be willing to be disagreeable. Everybody's not going to like you when you put your foot out there. And you have to be okay with it. Yeah, everybody's not going to be your friend. I think we've kind of ruined that word with Facebook. Everybody's not going to be your friend, right? Everybody doesn't have to be, right? You don't have to like me, right? You just have to pay me. And those are two separate functions in the world. By the way, when I pay you or when somebody pays me, liking me is like 355th thing on the list. <laughs> it doesn't even rank. Be assertive. Be willing to be disagreeable. I'm not talking about creating disagreement or creating disputes or creating conflicts where there don't need to be any. I'm actually talking about taking a stand and being willing to be unpleasant in order to accomplish your goals. By the way, men know this. Men are willing to be unpleasant with each other all the time. I'm telling you the secret of, of manhood here. The secret of manhood is being willing to be unpleasant. That's the secret. Guys are willing to fight for what we believe when pushed to the wall. But women very often just want to be liked. Be willing to be disagreeable. Remember I said just start? Some of you are concerned with Waiting, and I did a, a, a YouTube video about this, which you can go and look at my YouTube channel if you want. I did a whole like riff on this last week. But many of you are waiting for your ducks to get in a row. That's an objection I can see on all of your faces. 
but 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 hey son i have to finish school or but hey son i have to get that degree or but hey son my mom or but hey son my dad or but hey son the people on this that's ducks in a row can i give you this, one of the other secrets to, to this entrepreneurial game you'll never have all your ducks in a row ever the ducks never line up usually if you're lucky if you're lucky you get one duck and usually it's that tiny one all the way down at the end. And you know what that one duck is called? All of your education from K until you graduate college. That's one duck. That's the only duck you get. All the rest of them that you've like, convinced yourself are ducks, it's really just a handful of smoke and mirrors. Because once you get that degree right there, then everybody in the world wants you to prove it. You don't have any more ducks. All of a sudden, all those stories that your parents told you, which, by the way, they're well-meaning. I tell my kids the same kind of stories, right? All those stories, all those well-meaning things, guess what? Those aren't ducks. They're just gossamer. They're just smoke and mirrors. Because you get out and you start to meet people like me. And there's a whole world full of people like me running around. And when you show up with, well, don't I have all these ducks in a row? Isn't it cool? Can I work with you? The first thing we look at you and say is, no, actually, you don't have all your ducks in a row. Actually, you really don't. You just have that one duck, which is kind of interesting, maybe. But if that duck doesn't work for me, what other ducks you got? This is a unique opportunity that you have in college to work on getting some more ducks. So when you start a business utilizing Facebook Marketplace, I'm going to, start, I'm going to talk tactics and strategies here in a minute. But when you start a business using Facebook Marketplace to flip baby clothes and books, that's a duck. That's a real duck. When you use eBay to flip clothes, by the way, those are side hustles. When you use eBay to flip clothes and figure out how to turn $5 into $10 and turn $10 into $50 and turn $50 into $100, that's a duck. That's a real duck because when you show up to somebody like me or somebody with a big fancy job and then they try to tell you that, hey, guess what? You have to show up every day at 6.30 in the morning and you need to work until 6.30 in the evening and um, we're gonna pay you a pittance. You could look at that person and instead of it being a sort of thing where you have one duck and you have just your hand out waiting for them to give you another duck, instead now you have two or three and you can stare at them and go, actually, I don't wanna play your game, actually. I mean, that's cool and interesting that you have that game going on, but I'm gonna go over to this table over here. You have negotiation power then. And you don't have to tell them you're doing this. I know people who are doing side hustles right now that aren't telling their bosses any of this. And why would you? Your bosses aren't going to be curious. They're even older than me. And they have even less facility with the internet than you do. Start taking this thing seriously. You're never going to have all your ducks in a row. So don't worry about it. Don't try to line them up. Just try to get new ones. Add to your lineup or add to your handle the, the ones you've got, right? But just start, begin. Don't be afraid to begin. Let's talk some specifics here. Side hustles. So let's talk some terms here because I was asked to talk terms. You'll hear these terms thrown back and forth. Here's what a side hustle is. A side hustle is something that you do next to the main thing you're already doing. So for instance, if I were working at, let me pick a company here, Raymond Corporation which makes heavy-duty forklifts and manufacturing stuff for Toyota. And I'm a welder at Raymond, and I'm working eight hours a day, right? 
and then I sleep for another six hours a day. That's 14 hours, right? I have 24 hours in a day. I have the same number of hours in a day that you do. What am I doing for that extra 10? Oh yeah, that's right, I'm watching Netflix. I'm complaining about my life. I'm eating bad food. Maybe I'm volunteering, right? Maybe I'm raising my kids too. Maybe I'm on the baseball league. Maybe I'm shoveling snow. But in reality, the majority of that 10 hours out of my day, I'm actually wasting it. And by wasting it, I mean it's not working for me. And by the way, as a welder at Raymond, I'm making a good salary. I'm making $80,000 a year. And I'm in the corporate 401k that'll get me a 3, not even a 3%, a 1.2% rate of return over the next uh, 25 years. And I'm expecting Raymond to not go anywhere and da da da. I'm doing all that. And you know what a side hustle is? A side hustle is when I decide that those 10 hours a day could be better used doing something else, like not watching Netflix, like getting off of Facebook, like not really caring about what my friends are doing when they're standing around drinking beer at the barbecue and just getting fatter. <laughs> Instead, I take some time, and you know what I do? I research women's shoes online, and I find the top 10 selling women's shoes online in my area, because I can geo-target that on Google, I go and do that Google search. And then I go and I look at my Facebook page and I find all the women on my Facebook page who are my friends. Let's say it's 10 because I'm a welder at Raymond. So really, how many women could I know, right, other than my wife, right? And I go and I find those 10 women and I see how they're talking about the shoes. And I see what kind of shoes they're wearing. And I see which shoes that are the top 10 best-selling ones in my area match up with the shoes they've got on their feet. And I hear how they're talking about them. And then I reach out to them and I say, hey, how about I replace your shoes for below market value. That's a side hustle. That requires very little research. It requires very little effort. And you, I named a bunch of tools we already have. We have Google. We have Facebook. Hmm. Why aren't any of us doing this right now in the room? Or if you are, tell me about it. You can also side hustle on clothes. Do you know that baby clothes you can sell baby clothes online and make a profit. I know people who are doing that right now. How many of you have younger brothers and sisters, cousins, nieces, nephews, that have baby clothes? Yeah, you can grab those. You set yourself up an eBay account. Set yourself up a, an account on Craigslist. Set up yourself an account on Amazon. Yeah, you got to factor in shipping and handling. Yeah, you got to factor in taxes. Yeah, you got to do all that stuff. But you're a woman in business, right? So you're going to do business. Your side hustle is going to be your little side business. And by the way, you start out making 50 bucks flipping baby clothes. And then the next weekend, you made 100. And the next weekend, you made 150. Next weekend, you made 200. And now all of a sudden, you're making three, four, five hundred $500 in a weekend. $500 times four weekends a month is two grand a month. Two grand a month times 12 months in a year is $24,000 in your pocket to you. That's a side hustle. You're not building a business off of it. You're just taking what's already lying around and you're flipping it. You don't have to flip houses. You don't have to flip cars. By the way, you could do the same thing with toys and books. There's all kinds of people willing to pay. This is what eBay proved. There's all kinds of people willing to pay for all kinds of things. And by the way, they're not all necessarily in the United States. That's a side hustle. Now, for some of you in this room, 
You may say, yeah, side hustle doesn't really work for me. I want to do something else. I have skills, right? I have the skills of accounting. I have the skills of supply chain management. I have the skills of problem solving. I spent a really long time understanding English literature. I have a passion for watches. I have a passion for pens. I have a passion for makeup. I have a passion for whatever, computer repair, programming, whatever. Well, the second way that you can make money in entrepreneurship, the second thing that leads up to entrepreneurship is freelance work. Freelance work is very, very interesting. And by the way, I still do freelance work. Yeah, I built a business, but around, still around 60% of my time is freelance work. See these slides? I made them. That's freelance work. Freelancers do work and they get paid. So I show up and you pay me. Very simple. Graphic designers, accountants, okay, tax preparers, all of these people can freelance and can make quite a bit of money. You want to know what quite a bit is? You want some real numbers on this? Last year, freelancing after taxes, I made $110,000. Oh, I saw eyebrows go into, like, foreheads there. Yes, that's correct. People pay. And by the way, that's on top of consulting work. That's on top of product development, which gives me other money in other areas. Freelancing is great. That means I'm not an employee. When I show up, I work. When I don't show up, I don't work. It's very simple. With freelancing, it seems a little risky because when you don't work, you don't get paid. But actually, if you have enough of a flow going, you have clients that will always call you. So I know some people who are graphic designers and also are photographers and computer programmers. They never run out of money. They never run out of clients. They're really clever ones anyway. The ones who run out of clients and the ones who run out of money are the ones who don't treat freelancing like a business. Instead, they do what this young lady is doing right here on the beach. They just sort of sit there with a Mai Tai and just sort of expect that it's going to happen. Yeah? Freelancing means you've got to hustle a little bit. But if you already have a talent, if you already have a skill, if you already have an ability that's at a higher level than a side hustle, and you want to actually leverage that, freelancing is for you. And by the way, this is also something you can do without your boss's permission, without your mother's permission, without your father's permission. A DBA costs like 50 bucks. Go get one. It's cheap in Broome County. By the way, the DBA structure and an LLC structure and an S-Corp structure, those are just structures for the IRS to get money out of you. Because guess what? The IRS wants to get paid. Speaking of which, the IRS, let me give you a statistic which will, vary, which will interest all of you here in this room. How many of you plan on being at work in the year 2040? If you do, raise your hand. 2040 is not that long away. It's only like 30 or some odd years, right? Okay. Do you know that 40%, the IRS is projecting that 40% of all reported income by 2040 will come from freelance work? That means at minimum, at least eight to nine of you in this room are going to take me seriously and actually go do this. At minimum. And you may not do it today. You may not have the courage to do it tomorrow, but you will do it at a certain point in your career. Freelance is great. I love it. Because you get to go to organizations where like, they would like to hire you, and you're like, no, actually, I don't want to work with your culture, and I don't want to be part of your team, and I don't want to do any of that stuff. I just want to show up and do work and go home. And that's what you get to do with freelance. That's great. I love it.
Now, here's the thing about freelance work. It doesn't scale. If you're taking notes, please write that word down. It's really hard to grow a freelance business. I can tell you I'm trying to grow one right now. Because see, here's what happens with a freelancer. The cheapest person a freelancer can ever hire is themselves. That's the cheapest person. Because you cost zero. But if you're a graphic designer with some computer skills and you've built up a bevy of clients, let's say 15 or 20, that are paying you $20,000 a year to do work for them, and you work like, let's say, nine months out of the year, and the other three you just don't work at all, and the money comes in, and that seems great and cool, but then your plates, as Jay-Z would say, get bigger, because you know you start spending more, and you start thinking more about what are the things you can do. Now you have to hire people. And then this is where the freelance trap occurs. You go out and you hire her, and you hire him, and you hire her, and you hire her. And now you're hiring all these people, and you're seeing money go out into payroll. By the way, Number one driver for expenses in organizations is wages and benefits. Number one, because people got to get paid. And then you're looking at all this money going out and you're thinking, oh my God, I got to go out and get more work. But then you think, well, no, wait, the cheapest way that I can save more money is to just fire her. So you fire her and now you're doing her work, but then you can't go out and get more clients. And you can't go out and get more sales. You can't go out and grow the business. This is why it's hard to scale a freelance business because the mentality of a freelancer doesn't always translate into the mentality of an entrepreneur. Entrepreneurs grow things. Please keep that in mind. That is what we do. If you are an entrepreneur, you grow a project. You grow a business. You grow an idea. You scale it. That's the fancy term that's thrown around now. And entrepreneurship looks, sex, looks sexy. It looks awesome on television or, you know, on YouTube when, like, Gary Vee is running around or Casey Neistat or Chase Jarvis or any of those guys. It looks cool and interesting when you're, like, having that cool meeting at, like, 11 o'clock at night or when you're driving around a BMW. I know plenty of entrepreneurs on Instagram. I see all of them all the time with the watches and the, the BMWs and all this other crap that doesn't matter. By the way, I don't drive a BMW. I drive a Toyota. And my watch cost about uh, $60. Not because I'm cheap, but because I take the money as an entrepreneur and I use it to grow the business. That's what entrepreneurs do. Entrepreneurship is about discipline. So first off, in order to be an entrepreneur, you have to want to make a difference in the world at scale. I firmly believe that. So do you have an idea that is so big, so hairy, that you need about 10,000 other people to come along with you to make it work? Do you really want to make a dent in the universe? Now remember, you don't have to. You can side hustle, you can freelance, and that'll make a dent in your own personal universe. But entrepreneurs want to make a dent in everybody else's universe. So for instance, in my business, I seek, and my business seeks, to make change in the places where individuals spend 60 to 70% of their lives. You're going to spend 60 to 70% of your life at work. Shouldn't it be a place you actually want to show up to with people that actually treat you decently? With people that actually talk to you like you're a human being? With people that actually inspire you to do better and motivate you to do more? That's a big, hairy, passionate idea that I have. And guess what? Freelancing and side hustling isn't going to get me there. 
And there are plenty of people who are doing this work. There's Dale Carnegie, there's Fred Pryor, there's all kinds of training and development industry folks. And by the way, at the bottom, there's a ton of freelancers who eat, 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 me, eat me at the bottom, eat my competition, right? Oh, actually, they are my competition, and they, they like eat up the bottom. And then there's webinars, and there's books, and there's YouTube videos. There's all these distractions, right? But I have a big, hairy idea, and that's what entrepreneurs have, is big, hairy ideas that they want to scale. I cannot do the idea alone, so I have to give away the work so that I can go off and do something that Mark Zuckerberg has done so brilliantly, which is why many of us are jealous of him in this generation. He built a once-in-a-lifetime business by breaking a model. You want to know what the model was that he broke? The model of data, a model of collection, a model of privacy. He broke like eight different models all in a row. And you all just sort of sit here and go, eh, that's interesting. <laughs> I remember when there was no Facebook. It's amazing what he's built. It's stunning. And he's the only one who could build it, and that's a big, hairy idea. Now, entrepreneurs also sometimes need funding. Now, there's a couple of different ways you could fund an entrepreneurial project. You can bootstrap. Bootstrap means every single time you make money, it goes back in the business, and you eat beans and rice for seven years. Done. And I know you're laughing, but I've eaten, I'm still eating beans and rice. I don't go on fancy vacations. I don't have a fancy car, right? I'm five years into a seven-year entrepreneurial journey. I told my wife, which is the first sale, by the way, if you're going to be an entrepreneur, I told my wife, told my husband, told my partner, told my boyfriend, told my girlfriend, I'm going to commit to this for seven years, even if it doesn't work. And then at the end of seven years, we'll take stock, and we'll decide if I go forward or if I just go back and get a job. Just give me seven years. By the way, once your partner is aligned with you on that, it makes it a lot easier. I know entrepreneurs who never got aligned, and they're fighting that war at home while they're also trying to fight the war out in the world. And I know some entrepreneurs that are on the edge of suicide because of it. Because that's a lot of wars to fight. A lot of places to be focused. So entrepreneurship is about breaking models. It's about breaking mindsets. It's about breaking approaches. If you have a big, hairy idea, and some of you might have a big, hairy idea about maybe water delivery to people in India, or you might have a big, hairy idea about glasses. Have you ever heard of Warby Parker? That's a big, hairy idea. Those guys are entrepreneurs. You may have a big, hairy idea about personal beauty products. Do you know who founded Birchbox? Two women. Two women founded Birchbox. If you don't know what that is, go Google it and look it up. If you have a big, hairy idea about how women should be represented in the media, oh, there's plenty of people who will fund you to make sure that that happens, but you better hustle for seven years and return on their investment. That's what entrepreneurs do. Entrepreneurship takes passion, it takes courage, it takes skill, and it takes the ability to do the one thing that all of us kind of sort of struggle with doing in here. It requires us to dance with fear. Find your path. So I was asked what my path was, and I told you a little bit about that. I told you how I came here and I started with like 50 bucks in my pocket and didn't know anybody. Before that, I spent 15 years in higher education. Not exactly hot and sexy, okay? I can tell you I made $26,000 a year at 26 years old with a master's degree. That's higher education. Binghamton University, don't pay. <laughs> now this is the University of Minnesota. 
No, they don't pay. Yeah, these big giant conglomo institutions that you're going to and you're giving your student loan money to and you're giving your mother's and your father's hard-earned tuition dollars to, they don't pay people like me. They don't pay us because we're a dime a dozen. Do you know that for every open position in higher education, there are 400 candidates? 400 at any given point. Every position from the person sitting in admissions who took your piece of paper and didn't look at you all the way to the person who's serving your food in the dining hall. 400 applicants for every position. Higher education is not (laughs) wasting away for people. So they can afford to be choosy. They can afford to push costs down. They can afford to push prices down. So I spent a lot of time and a lot of years in that system. And I enjoyed it. It did well. It was fine. I wasn't married. I didn't have any kids. I was cool floating around. It was fine. But during that time, I also learned things. I learned the things that are helping me be an entrepreneur. So I learned how to stand in front of a room like this and actually talk to you off the top of my head. You want to see my notes, by the way? I wrote very few notes for here tonight because like, I'm passionate about this and because I just know my own stuff. So I don't need notes. When you know your stuff, you don't need it. Right? I also learned how to manage a budget, which is hugely important when you're an entrepreneur. I learned how to talk to people in one-on-one situations and sort of persuade them and convince them about ideas. I had judicials with students. Trust me, a student that was like drunk on Friday night who like wrecked your, wrecked your hallway and wrecked somebody else's room, and now I have to meet with them on a Monday. That's a fun and interesting conversation to have. That's awesome. I had those conversations over and over and over again for 10 years. And by the way, I got older and older, and you all stayed exactly the same age. (laughs) You all stayed 18 and 19 and 20. And I just got older and older and older. And in that time, I began to wonder, is there a better way? Is there a better path to get to where I want to go? I'm the only entrepreneur in my family. I'm the only one. So there's no mentor for me. There's nobody in my family, no uncle, no brother, no cousin, no sister, no mother, no father saying, yeah, hey, attaboy, keep going. No, my own internal fire is the thing that drives me. My own internal guts is the thing that drives me. Which is why when you're finding your path, the only person who can tell you what your path is, is you. You're the only one. Not your mom, not your dad. Not your faculty member that you really like, not the cool friends that you hang out with, not the club members or the fraternity members or sorority members that you're in. No, you're the only one that can find your path. Here's my recommendation to you. Sift through your skill sets. What do you do well? You've had years and years of K through 12 schooling to figure out what you do well. And if you don't know what you know what you do well by this point at like 19 or 20 or 21 or 18 or 22 or 23 or 24, if you don't know by this point, if you don't have an idea of what you do well, then we should have a chat. Because there's something I could find that you do well. Now, will that pay? Uh, that's a different kind of question. But first we have to find what you do well. Then we can worry about getting paid. Does that make sense? we got to find our path first. And my path is not going to be yours, and your path is not going to be yours, and your path is not going to be yours. We need all kinds in the world. We don't need just one. Finding your path is a matter of understanding and knowing your internal compass. Are you listening to that small, still voice that says, yes, go this way? And are you following it? 
or is it drowned out by a bunch of distractions from the world? Like that phone call right there. I want to talk about risk and I want to talk about reward. And then I want to take some questions. Um, Risk and reward both exist in your own head. Let me be clear. The story about risk and reward, why you may not do some of the things that I talked about tonight or why you may think I'm full of crap or why you might be inspired and why you may think I'm amazing, both of those things exist in your own head. They're your own internal narrative. The things that I think are risky are not things that you think are risky. And the things that you think are risky, I may think, yeah, well, I, I, I stepped past that when I was like 22, so what are you worried about? Right? Risk versus reward is also about, well, if I take Kaysan's advice, and if I do start off this little thing on the side and it fails totally, what do I do? Well, here's what happens if it fails totally. You get up and you try again. Grit resilience, courage, passion. Those are the kinds of things, those are the kinds of skills that are necessary to nail and to manage the giant problems we have in the 21st century. Somebody in this room is going to solve climate change. Somebody in this room is going to build the infrastructure that has to surround the electric car. Because electric cars can't just like, show up. We have to build an entire infrastructure around that. From stoplights to streets to the wiring underneath streets. Somebody has to think about all that. And one of those somebodies in that room could be this person. Somebody in this room has to figure out how we're going to build a system in the world that will raise one to two billion people in India and China out of poverty into the middle class the way that Americans had between the 1950s and the 1970s. Somebody has to figure that out in this room. That's a problem. That's a problem of resources. That's a problem of economic trade-offs. Somebody has to fix racism in this room. Somebody has to fix sexism. Somebody has to fix ableism. Somebody in this room has to fix that. Those are big, hairy problems. You want challenges? Those are big, hairy ones. Those are ones with non-obvious solutions. I don't know what the solution is to fixing electrical infrastructure. That's not my thing. I'm not an engineer, but maybe one of you in here is. Maybe you've been noodling on an idea. Maybe you're the next Thomas Edison in here. I don't know, and maybe you don't either. Maybe somebody is the next Martin Luther King Jr. in here who will inspire people, or the next Gandhi, or the next Mother Teresa, or the next whoever, who will inspire people in a positive way. That's entrepreneurship, by the way. That's scale. That's social entrepreneurship. That's a huge and growing field. Maybe somebody in here will figure out how to raise people out of poverty at scale into wealth. And do it in a way that honors resources that we have on the earth that are limited. And maybe someone in this room will figure out the climate change thing. I don't know. Maybe you'll build a better widget. I don't know. I'm not a scientist. I can't figure it out. I'm not a public policy guy. I have opinions, but I'm not a public policy guy. But maybe one of you people in here is. And yes, I did say you people. Maybe one of you is. Those are big, hairy things that require you to take a lot of risks and put yourself out there, but you can get immense rewards. But here's the thing, and I want you to pay attention very closely. If you're not even willing to start with flipping baby toys, how are you going to start with the bigger things? 
You don't just go from zero to solving climate change tomorrow. There's steps along the way, and there's a path that has to be trod. But remember, I don't know which one it is. I want you to start somewhere. I want you to begin. I want this for everybody. So I do a lot on entrepreneurship. I do stuff with entrepreneurship with 15 to 18-year-olds, high school students. High school students love all this stuff. Because, like, there's low risk, right? So, yeah, we buy some things off the internet, and then we flip it here, and we flip it there, and we make 10 bucks. Hey, it's cool, right? Okay. I do this with people who are extremely blue-collar and who are looking at the internet going, no one's going to pay me to show up to fix XYZ anymore. Or maybe they will show me to pay, pay me to show up to fix XYZ. But I have to go do that through Amazon now. What's the best way to do that, Hayson? I work with those people. And I work with people in the incubator who are working on big fancy ideas like battery charging and social media stuff and mobility issues. Big, hairy ideas that need big, hairy solutions. There's places for all of you in this game, and you're going to have to determine for you what the risk is versus the reward you want out of your life. And that's what thinking about entrepreneurship gets you, I fundamentally believe. I want to close with one other point, and then I'll take some questions. Um, there's two ways to look at all of this. It's either poker or chess. I want you to keep this in mind. If some of you have played chess before, you understand that chess is a game of strategy, right? I have to think about your move, you have to think about my move, and then you have to think about the next move I'm going to make, and then I have to think about the next move you're going to make, and so on and so on and so on, right? Like Gary Kasparov, the best person in the world at this, other than the deep blue computer, right? The best person in the world at this. Gary Kasparov, when he sits down to, to play you in chess, he's already thinking like 34 moves ahead. And the second you make a pawn move, the second you move your pawn, like he's already beat you. That's how his brain works, right? And he just does it. He goes, and you're like, what the heck just happened to me? So we can think of entrepreneurship. We can think of all these ideas that I've talked about today, like chess. You're going to move your pawn, and then you're going to think 34 moves ahead, and you're going to figure out where you can get with those 34 moves ahead, and then you're just going to go do it. Or, and this is far more interesting to me, you can think of entrepreneurship, you can think of it more like poker. Poker's a game of chance, right? The game of risk. Different game than chess, right? In poker, it matters what table you sit at, right? It matters how much money you have. Sure, how high your stack of chips is. But it also matters how you play the cards you've been dealt. And every single one of you in here has been dealt a series of cards just like me. Here's a series of cards I was dealt. I'm black. I was born in America. I graduated high school in 1997 at the rise of Google. And I got a master's degree. That's four cards. What can I do with those four cards in my hand? Well, it depends upon what table I'm sitting at, right? If I go and sit over at the table where a bunch of white guys have been running an institution for 10,000 years, that might not be good cards to bring to that table. I might have to make a lot of risky bets that may not come to fruition, right? And I might not win. I might spend a ton of my time losing at that table. Years and decades, right? But maybe I take my four cards and I go someplace else, right? Maybe I go over to the entrepreneurship table. Or maybe I go to a breakout from that table. I go to the consulting and training table. 
a place where with those four cards, I could do a lot of damage and I could sit there for a long time and just keep making bets that don't pay off. Just keep making it, but it's smaller risks than that other table with all the white guys over there. It's smaller risks than that table. And I just keep winning at this table and winning at this table and winning at this table and winning at this table until I can take all those chips and then, and then I can go over to this table. And then we can start making some big bets. That's poker thinking. What cards do you have right now? And what table are you willing to sit at in order to win? This is the way we have to think. It's, yes, it's poker, but it's also chess and it's strategy and figuring out which table you got to sit at. So look at the cards you have. Look at the ones you've been dealt. Look at the tables you want to sit at and the problems you want to solve and the things that you want to do. And then figure out how you want to get in the game. By the way, a side hustle is a card. Freelancing is a card. Going and doing a big hairy thing with entrepreneurship is a card. Be unromantic, though, about it. Don't hold on too much to the past. Let it go. When you have a defeat, when you have a failure, let it go. It's just tomorrow. Or it's just yesterday, I mean. Tomorrow is a new day. Be responsible. We have too many entrepreneurs who are running around pretending like they have all the cards and like what they do doesn't matter. Actually, what you do does matter. Be responsible and be accountable, please. Be responsible and be accountable with the cards you've got. Particularly to your mental and physical health, this is a huge thing if you're going to go down this road because there's not a lot of support and it's really sometimes, sometimes, sometimes it's really scary. So make sure you have support systems. That's another set of cards in your hand. Be more of you. Each, single, each and every single one of you in here is an individual. Be more of you. Don't be less of you. Don't try to hide. Why are you hiding your candle underneath a bushel basket? Be more of you. The best parts of you. Be more of that. Because that's what will differentiate you in the market. By the way, market differentiation is a huge cause of market disruption. And the way that I look at the world and the way you look at the world are totally different because we're different people with different differentiations. So if you came over to my table, I better watch out because I have no idea what you're bringing to that table. I have no idea what your cards are. Come to the table. Be more you. Be more. Be more. Be more. Don't be less. And lastly, I want you to be focused. I want you to really dial in ridiculously on what you want. And the earlier you can start doing this in any of these three areas, the better outcomes you will have over the long term. It's a long game, by the way. Long game, not short. So your short game is the college game you're playing right now. That's extremely short. That'll be over in one year or two years or three years or four years, whenever. It'll be done. But the long game, the poker game, the big game is your life. And many of you in this room are gonna live to be 80 or 90 years old. You're going to live a long, long time, and you're going to have a lot of opportunities to do a lot of interesting things with a lot of interesting folks. So I want you to think about the long game, but be focused, right? Figure out what cards you have, and be unromantic about it. Thank you for your time and attention. I appreciate it. These are all the ways you can get a hold of me if you're interested. Uh, by the way, I say all this stuff online all the time. I, I talk about this all the time. I write about this stuff all the time. I make videos about this stuff all the time. Some of you are in class with me in Management 311, so you know where to find me. But these are all the places you can look at me. These are all the places you can connect with me if you're interested. 
But I want to thank you for your time and attention. It is the most valuable thing that you have to give me. And with that, I will take questions if you have any, as we have about 10 minutes left. But thank you.